welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. I am joined today by Chloe Darwin. Hi, Chloe. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing really well, Jill. I'm so excited that you're on today. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. It's really lovely. Do you want to start out telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, so um, I'm Chloe and I work for the Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme. Um, we're based in the Maldives. Um, well, we're usually based in the Maldives, but currently I'm in the UK due to the global pandemic. So, um, yes, that's what's brought me here for now. <laughs> So how is this something that you got into? Is it you kind of always knew you wanted to study marine science or how did you grow up into this kind of thing? I actually have a really funny path to marine conservation. Um, So I I actually studied in something completely different, um, like in the creative industry. But I've always like grown up near the sea um, in the UK and my dad... um, he's always been a scuba diver and you know very into marine life so I think I kind of got it from him um I had like that curiosity there from a really early age so that was always there in the background and of course like when you're on this kind of like treadmill of education and now you go to college now you go to uni you know it was only after I did my degree that I thought oh now I have time to you know learn more about marine life and the ocean because I've always loved it um so that kind of began with me just doing little bits of volunteering I would literally do my job in London and then on weekends I would I don't know how I did it um I'd travel back on weekends to see family and volunteer at the National Marine Aquarium in Plymouth um yeah I'm just thinking now like I actually don't know how I how I found the energy for that but that's how much I really love talking about fish <laughs> and telling people about all these, you know, all these amazing things that um, that you can learn about marine life. Um, so that's what kind of brought me to discover, like, oh, I really love doing this. Um, so then it kind of led on to me seeking out um, other other opportunities. You know, I'd, I'd never traveled by myself before and I thought, well, I want to travel, but I also, you know, I, I want to do some things where I can really indulge in my passion. Um, so that kind of led me on to doing like various marine volunteering uh, projects, including Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme um, for a couple of weeks. And then um, some turtle rehabilitation programmes as well. Um, yeah, so then that was kind of that really intense period of time of just like learning and, you know, getting that experience hands on. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in hands on experience. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think sometimes like I get a bit of because I didn't study in conservation or marine science. I sometimes I get a little bit of imposter syndrome, which I'm sure like a lot of people can relate to. Um, yes. but I think sometimes I I really relish that I had a different pathway to it because, you know, I kind of bring, um, you know, different experiences to the table and all the things that I've learned sort of just being in field and doing it have been really valuable as well. Um, 
So that's a very brief summary of my funny pathway. <laughs> I definitely get what you're saying with the imposter syndrome because I like I have my uh, degree, but I still feel it a lot sometimes. And it's kind of like there's always going to be someone smarter and make you feel like you're not supposed to be there. But the experience <laughs> you're gaining with the hands-on experience is honestly a little bit better sometimes. Like you're learning relevant information. You're learning straight like from the horse's mouth kind of thing. So I think what you're doing is awesome. <laughs> Thank you for sure. I, I love it. So now I'm just kind of at home uh, and living in the memories for now until we go back in field uh, in 2021. Um, oh, that's so long. I'm so sad for you. I hope it's going back <laughs> soon. Yeah, it's it's a very long time. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm dealing with it. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting that it already is September. So that's uh, in my head. It's still like March. So I yeah, better, but, <laughs> but still. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is um, it is far away, but also, you know, it's kind of when I look at, oh, you know, I came home in March and, and now we're already set in September, it'll go so fast, you know, and then Christmas yeah. will happen and we'll all, you know, hopefully we'll be living it up um, in a safe, distanced way. <laughs> oh exactly. my gosh. How did uh, you get working with these whale sharks and what is the whale shark research program that you work for? Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so the Maldives Whale Shark Research Program, um, like I said, I volunteered for them. Um, and it was funny because it actually happened by a fluke um, because initially I was going to do a coral restoration program and then it all just kind of went topsy-turvy because of um, just something to do with the company. But basically, um, I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I need to, you know, I need to find something to do. What else do I love? I you know, I really love coral and I thought, yes, I really love whale sharks. So I'm going to look into that. But basically, um, that all kind of was the catalyst um, for me really getting involved with Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme. Um, so they have been going for 14 years. Um, they just started out literally as a, as a research expedition. And then it kind of developed more into uh, an NGO uh, charity, nonprofit. Um, so yeah, our in-field operations are based in the Maldives, uh, usually. We're all kind of working from home at the moment um, on a voluntary basis. Um, but yes, more I stray slightly. Uh, 14 years. So yeah, our, our aim is to basically collect data on the whale shark population there which is a really unique population actually, because it's um, the only year round, naturally occurring year round um, aggregation of whale sharks in the world. So oh, it's a very wow. special, yeah, yeah, it's a very special place. Um, so yeah, we, our job is to collect data in field, um, you know, kind of study uh, the distribution of whale sharks in the Maldives. Um, so, as it happens, where our where our program is kind of based in uh, South Ari Atoll, that's where we have the year-round aggregation. But then we see whale sharks all over the Maldives. Um, but those are kind of they're kind of 
little seasonal pockets, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, we have sightings at certain times of the year in Tartal or, you know, Bartol, where they have the very famous Hanifaru Bay manta aggregation. Um, so they all come together for their little plankton party. Um, and then we also have whale shark sightings in the deep south of the Maldives uh, formula, which that is actually really, or going off on a tangent slightly, that's a really interesting place where we were going to, we were going to have a very exciting um, research expedition there, um, but literally COVID hit right as it was all kicking off. So that was very oh. sad. Um, yeah, it would have been like quite a wealth of information because the sharks that we see, the whale sharks we see turning up there are um, they're very large females. So usually what's typical of whale shark aggregations uh, worldwide is that it's juvenile uh, males a lot of the time. Um, I mean, there is there are places where there's a mix. I mean, there's certainly a few females that pop up in um, our South Lari aggregation. But in formula, it's a lot of very large sort of mature females um, because formula this particular part of the Maldives is pelagic facing so it's very exciting um, hopefully we get to explore a bit more about them next year um, but yes I've gone on a big big tangent um, yeah, is there no, anything we love tangents <laughs> we love I love a tangent it's great <laughs> So what is the kind of research that you guys are doing? Like when you're collecting data, what does that look like? And what are you looking for kind of thing? So when, when we, we do um, our surveys five days a week, um, usually sort of between six to eight hours a day, and we're collecting observational data. And we're also, um, you know, we're trying to build up our, our database of whale sharks, which currently consists of, 492 I believe um, <laughs> a lot of individuals so we're trying to basically um, you know see which individuals are coming here how they're using um, that area um, what we've come to understand actually is that the whale sharks um, of South Ari anyway they are using the area um, as a kind of secondary nursing ground um, so you know we're getting a lot of juveniles who are coming in and they are using the area for you know maybe they're feeding at a depth but then they are coming up to the surface uh, cruising along to sort of thermoregulate their body temperature um, very important process for whale sharks but that's how they are using it and so in that time you know we're only seeing them for a very brief portion of their time this is the the really exciting thing about whale sharks is that there's a lot of stuff we really don't know um you know so so many interesting things that we don't know about them um so we're seeing them for this small window and in that time our job is to document um the individuals you know they can be new individuals they can be returning individuals we have a very high site fidelity rate in uh in south Ari. Um, so we'll do this by, um, like many marine animals, um, amazing technology allows us to basically ID them from a photograph. So I'm sure everybody's heard that, um, you know, whale sharks, they're very big, they're very beautiful, and they have an amazing individual spot pattern for every single one. Um, so this is how we, we enter an encounter 
and our aim is to you know observe you know are there you know um our aim is to sort of collect the the main data which is um taking the photo id we'll take left side right side we'll also take top shots and sex shots um, of the whale shark but we're also documenting um things in the encounter like uh we're estimating the size um we're sort of observing you know what behavior is this shark exhibiting exhibiting um geez i can't say that word Exhibit, <laughs> exhibiting um so yeah we're seeing which behaviors they're kind of um giving off and um also how many people are in the water you know whether code of conduct is followed whether they have injuries that we need to document the you know the healing process we're basically just looking at everything being super observant and you know quantifying that in data terms um so yeah when we get out of our encounters that is when we will do all of our um you know document all of our data um that is what we do <laughs> that is really cool that's a lot of different stuff and that's yeah. super cool really awesome yeah it's it's a lot to it's very funny talking about it now because it because i haven't um been maybe if i was in the flow of like doing it every day again it's it's really yeah. strange but yeah no i i really i love doing it and it's interesting like how many you know when you say to someone you survey the same area of reef every day and you know some people would be like oh just looking at the same things well you know what they might not be that impressed but i love it you know that's kind oh, absolutely. of yeah no i mean there's always a different experience and you know the whale sharks it's interesting going into encounters and not knowing exactly you know what behavior they're going to exhibit which individual it's going to be um but yeah it's it's a it's a lovely job um and i really miss it god i'm trying not to sound like <laughs> it is one of those things that uh you're doing like in air quotations the same thing every day but it's going to be a little bit different every single day so it's never really the same no never the same no <laughs> to be partnering with Caitlin McCall and Eco-Conscious Diver for the launch of the new course, A Complete Introduction to Marine Conservation. Trying to learn more about marine conservation and how to implement it into your own everyday lives can be very overwhelming. There's lots of rabbit holes and misinformation that can be found on Google, but this step-by-step -step guide from Caitlin is the best place to start and allows you to make marine conservation a part of your life every single day in the easiest way possible. Only six hours of at your own paced online material stand between you and your future of marine conservation. Make sure you use the link in our bio to get the course at a discounted price for a limited time. We can't wait to hear what you do with it. Now, why is this research that you guys are doing, why does this matter? Why is this something that you guys have chosen to do? Why should people be researching this? Um, so like a lot of people know, um, worldwide, um, the whale shark 
uh, is at threat. Um, you know, they're an endangered species. Um, it's very hard to kind of monitor what they, you know, because we don't know a lot about what they're doing in especially the adult span of their lifetime, you know, when they're out in open ocean or, you know, in these places where we don't know where they go. Um, it's very hard to kind of really get a, a full grasp on like how best to protect the whale shark. So the fact that we, you know, don't know a lot about them also um, alongside the fact that they are susceptible to all these all these things like, you know, targeted fishing for fins and, you know, they're susceptible to bycatch um, via large sort of tuna per se nets. Um, there's really a lot, there's a lot for them to be threatened by, even, even down to microplastics. We recently did a study um, of whale sharks and, you know, the microplastics they're ingesting, because obviously they feed on on tiny tiny plankton and small fish and so they're no doubt gonna sort of manifest that microplastic in their tissues and uh, in their body um which you know it seems it seems like there's so many so many threats it's like how i feel as a conservationist like i feel very overwhelmed by oh my gosh how are we gonna tackle all these things um but also i need to sort of stress like you know why should we care i mean the whale shark has the benefit of being like a very large charismatic species um you know people want to see it which is which is amazing because that kind of gives us fuel for like really getting people excited about you know why we need to protect it why we need to put more funding into learning about it um so i would kind of sort of deem it like an umbrella species so if you consider that you know whale sharks kind of garner um, protection for like vast areas um, like South Barry Atoll for example it's a it's an MPA um, which I didn't mention earlier on it's about 43 kilometers of marine protected area um, so if you consider that you know we protect this area for the whale shark then that also means all of these other species you know they may not have the benefit of being charismatic but they're all still very important and help to keep that balance of ecosystems um so that i would say is very important um and also another thing yeah another reason we should care is because the whale shark um it generates a lot of revenue and tourism you know local jobs i mean this in itself is uh, a bit of a catch-22 i mean i'm sure a lot of people sort of um you know they who work in marine uh, conservation and on on the sea you know a lot they'll probably know that kind of dilemma of oh we want to preserve a species how do we you know how do we do that um we get people in the water having these really meaningful experiences but also you know uh wildlife doesn't always want to um it doesn't always want to uh, be, you know, uh, at the center of attention. Absolutely. Um, so, it doesn't always yeah. No, it doesn't always cooperate. And yeah, I mean, like I was saying, there's because of the whale shark and it, you know, bringing in as much kind of, um, you know, interest as it does, that is 
it's good and bad you know sometimes uh in certain parts of the world there can be issues with um over tourism over tourism yeah i guess i would say that um yeah yeah the kind of saturated industry um which sometimes we can see in south Bari, even like sometimes saying sometimes not um there's a very busy encounters but likewise there's also quieter encounters um so yeah not a unique problem to that area <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about whale sharks because they're pretty unique animals uh so when you think shark i kind of think like these uh massive uh like jaws almost i know i shouldn't like it's just but these whale sharks are a little different than the classic shark that we think of right yeah so um whale sharks i mean aside from being unique in terms of being the biggest fish in the world um they are also a filter feeding shark um so i think it's among you know the Baskin shark and the Megamouth shark. Um, it it feeds on plankton, um, which is um, quite different to what you know some people would typically think of a shark. Um, you know that jaws kind of <laughs> the jaws thing that kind of lurks in the background. Um, it's yeah, it's still prevalent today, unfortunately. But I think the appeal, yeah, for certainly tourists I guess the appeal is that a whale shark is kind of you know uh there's the guarantee that it's not going to want to eat you even though even though other sharks you know other sharks aren't going to do that there just needs to be a lot more understanding in the topic oh, as a whole yeah. um <laughs> but um so like where are whale sharks because I know I'm on eastern Canada and we definitely don't have them here so where are they found in the world um they are found in so basically they have a global distribution in the tropics of cancer and capricorn so um usually they are like i said earlier they have um there's a lot of coastal aggregations of juvenile whale sharks in particular um so places like i mean we have in the maldives we have western australia uh philippines madagascar tanzania um but they're also, you know, they're also spotted in, you know, you kind of have these whale shark hotspots, but they are often seen in other places as well. You mentioned that you had one population, but that was the only one, like a uh, residential population. So they are, are they a migratory species? So we like to sort of term uh, whale sharks as highly mobile. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people still say migratory, um, but migratory kind of infers that there's kind of like a, you know, there's always a reliable pattern, which we kind of can't really quantify yet. So generally, um, we're trying to deem it as highly mobile. Um, and they do get around, like even in the Maldives, for example, uh, we have certain sharks who will, you know, they'll kind of stick around self-wary a lot or you know suddenly you'll get it um you'll have it popping up in um in a completely different atoll so that's always exciting when you have kind of inter-atoll movements I think to this uh over the years we've had 43 individuals make those inter-atoll movements which is very interesting yeah very interesting <laughs> um it's funny you said about Canada because I actually um I was reading the other day and the sort of 
I was reading about the most obscure places whale sharks have been sighted, and one of them had been in Canada. Um, what? Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, it's it's crazy. It might have actually been. I don't know. It might have been lost or sick because that's a very very far place to travel. But <laughs> yeah, Canada, Canada and Portugal um, were the two which I thought. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah. And actually, that brings, I forgot to say, um, there are sort of Atlantic populations of whale sharks. Um, and what we're typically seeing with that is that they are, you know, it's maybe like bigger individuals. So, for example, uh, St. Helena, um, there is a kind of irrigation that happens there. Um, I think around, I think it's around January and December. Um, my friend um, who works the research program, she went there and she saw like 30 sharks from her boat when one day and I just, I cannot comprehend There's so many whale sharks and, you know, it's kind of uplifting when you consider all these threats they're facing. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly not close to abundance, um, which is unfortunate, I guess, but yeah, having that many uh, individuals aggregate in one area um, and it was an even mix of male and female so that was again this is another place where we we just need to learn more about you know why are they there in places like St Helena or the Galapagos um, you know I know a lot of people they kind of um, I think it was on Blue Planet where they were kind of saying that perhaps Galapagos could be a um, you know, a mating ground or a nursery. Um, you know, there's there's always a lot of oh maybe's with whale yeah. sharks. I mean, it it seems to be that there's a lot of you know unknowns, and we kind of have to sort of say, well, we we think this is the case, but um, we can't say for sure because we need more research. Um, so. Absolutely, classic classic case for everything. Classic <laughs> well, we case. Think this but uh, we'll, we'll let you know later if someone let you talk about whale sharks forever what would you what would be the thing that you're most excited to talk about with them i mean it's you know it's there it's everything really it's yeah i think if someone's gonna give me unlimited time to talk about the whale shark there's so many things i could tell so many like factual things cool factual things but um i would like to you know just sort of let them know um it's really cool to sort of do my do my job and obviously collect all the data and you know um you know contribute to science in that way but it is really cool to sort of um not get to know individuals um because that is anthropomorphizing which you know scientists probably shouldn't do but i think it, a very cool aspect of the job is that sometimes i we get to know which individuals are possibly going to be you know more typically chilled out you know you know you kind of I dare I say it, you kind of get to know certain individuals characters um it's it's kind of interesting to have curious individuals as well um so a lot of the time if we get um you know smaller sharks in the area you know new individuals to the area of South Ari uh, and our database, they will often, you know, they'll be very curious, which is amazing, you know, to have the world's biggest fish follow you around, um, like 
a giant Labrador. Um, it's very, yeah, it's very odd. I'm, I think one of my, when I was a volunteer, one of my sort of standout uh, encounters was with a whale shark um, who was called Gogo and um, I love him. <laughs> um, so he kind of just swam around following us, our group for like an hour and we were, we were alone, which was even, even better. Um, you know, just getting to sort of really um, just observe like every aspect of the shark, you know, unhindered by, um, you know, maybe a lot of people at the encounter. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Like a lot of the times when it's busier encounters, you know, not that that happens all the time, but if it's a busy encounter, you kind of have to have, you know, your, your data brain on like, okay, I'm gonna get estimated size. I'm gonna take my ID shots and, you know, you kind of have to be very like beeline for what you need to do um, job wise. Um, but then, you know, when you have these longer encounters, it kind of allows you, you know, you collect your data and then, you know, you get those moments where you can really sort of take stock of, um, you know, how amazing it is, you know, how amazing it is that it's the world's biggest fish or how amazing it is that you can literally like see these ginormous gills like moving and you know and they're very I don't know sharks in general not just whale sharks they're very graceful creatures they're they're very beautiful um I sound like I'm romanticizing it a lot but it's possibly because I'm kind of missing it a lot right now so um yeah <laughs> That actually brings up a really good question. So if people are in the water and they're encountering a whale shark, like what is the code of conduct for whale shark encounters? So um, code of conduct is something that um, that is really important to sort of um, tell people about um, because obviously like a lot of, a lot of people want to see the world's biggest fish. They want to swim with it and um, you know, these can be people who are used to being in the water, but then there's also people who, you know, maybe not that confident in the water and are seeing it for the first time. Um, so I would say if you yourself were wanting to go and swim with whale sharks, I would say really thoroughly do your research on which sort of ecotourism partner you would like to go with, um, you know, check that they give a code of conduct and, you know, um, just check that um, they're gonna sort of look after you in the water and make sure you're, you know, doing the correct thing. Um, so basically the code of conduct, like like with many um, marine animals, you know, marine animals aren't really tactile species. Um, so the first rule would be to not touch a whale shark. Um, Basically, if you break the, you know, if you break these rules, chances are it's just going to end the encounter for you and everyone else. Um, so, yeah, don't touch the whale shark. They do not like that. Um, don't <laughs> um, try not to swim within four meters of the whale shark, you know, because obviously anyone when you have, you know, when you have a person even getting like in your your own little personal bubble, it's it's not very nice especially if you are a whale shark and you can't really tell them to uh to give you a bit more space um 
um, I mean, they have their own ways of sort of telling that, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, this is the thing I've worked with them for a while now and I can kind of like maybe read their body language a bit more than what, uh, you know, some, uh, somebody who's just snorkeling for a day would know. Um, so for instance, you know, I say the four meter rule, but if you were to get too close, like closer than that, then a whale shark, you know, it might have these telltale behaviors like their eyeball may sort of retract as like a defense, not a defense, but um, you know, it's an evasive behavior. They feel yeah, threatened. Yeah, like a sign that they don't want you that close. Yeah. Um, or they might do this thing called banking, which is basically where um, the whale shark will give you the back. So the back is the, the toughest part of the whale shark. Um, you know, it's really its only defense. Um, you know, it can't really fight off or, <laughs> you know threaten people in, in other ways so yeah they will they will turn very abruptly and give you the back um so this is actually i've seen a lot of photos on instagram particularly where people are i saw somebody describe it as a happy dance and it's very interesting uh, yeah it's like no that's not a happy dance that's the whale shark telling you to to back up a bit um so i'd be I'd, exactly no not exactly i'd say just be aware you know, just be aware of your body um, when you're in the water. So, yeah, four meter rule. Um, try not to take flash photography because it can, you know, it can startle a whale shark. And um, a big one is uh, don't obstruct. Um, so don't swim right in front of the face of the shark. It does not like that. And it usually means like, it just means most of the time that they'll they'll kind of see it suddenly i mean what we do know about well we don't know loads about whale shark vision like how they perceive just yet um but we know that it might be that they don't have a very um long long depth of vision i guess yeah, okay. that would be the so you know if you're swimming right in front of a whale shark's face it might not see you until it's kind of like oh my gosh you're right in front of me um so then they can take very abrupt um just a nosedive off the reef or you know it's it all kind of a, you know amounts to just being another thing which a whale shark is not really going to want to tolerate um <laughs> um so yeah no touching and uh four meter distance um no flash and uh, no obstruction ideally and also it's important for for boats um, as well to sort of drop snorkelers off some way away um, you know just because like boat motors and engines they can be very very noisy um, noise is actually something I've personally sort of observed like you know obviously if you have a busy encounter people are gonna possibly be making more splashing more noises which kind of means that it will probably be a shorter encounter um yes yeah it kind of all all that anthropogenic impact kind of all adds up and accumulates <laughs> so basically your aim is to be you know be quiet and be calm and keep your distance and just be as ignorable as possible <laughs> i love that yeah just just be ignorable and he'll be happy hopefully <laughs> So if people want to help, how can they help? Especially like people don't always live around where these whale sharks are. So 
what can these people who aren't around them do to help? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of things people can do to help. Um, you can literally go off and do your own learning um, in the form of, you know, reading and, you know, watching documentaries. I've basically lived the past few months just listening to David Attenborough's voice and watching, um, <laughs> just watching Blue Planet a lot. Um, so, yeah, you can go off and do your own learning and, you know, that kind of enables you to sort of, you know, bring bring that knowledge to other people who might not, you know, have it accessible. Um, so your own learning, your own kind of creating as well. Like I would, you know, just from, you know, me and my background, I would say that conservation kind of is, it can be very powerful if you're kind of, um, you know, integrating different disciplines into it, um, like, you know, some people will write or they'll they'll draw or you know they'll make podcasts and get all their <laughs> all that knowledge out there so basically yeah just undertake your own learning um i would say a big one is make um sustainable seafood choices sustainable choices all around really um but just be aware of what kind of seafood you're consuming um because like i said earlier uh, whale sharks like many other species they can be susceptible to things like bycatch and, um, you know, things like that, which is really detrimental to the to the future of the species. So just be really aware of that. Be aware of your um, plastic, um, you know, your consumer choices in regards to, you know, plastic and clothing. And I know it sounds all really overwhelming and I, I'm always, um, you know, I don't know whether your listeners or you kind of experience this but you know that kind of eco-anxiety like oh I'm oh, not doing yeah. enough <laughs> yeah big time like I'm not doing enough but really to be honest like if you're doing something that is better than doing nothing um so yeah I would just say to be aware of what sustainable choices you're making um advocate for really marine policies that will you know aim to like preserve um, and protect sharks, um, the whale shark. And uh, this, you know, I don't know about you, but I've, <laughs> I've kind of just been signing petitions like under so many different emails. It's, it's, yep. it's um, yeah, just like, oh, I'll do it under this email and that email. Um, yeah, so I mean, petitions, I mean, petitions aren't the only way, but you know, they certainly help um, bring it to the forefront. Um, I would suggest for anyone at the moment, um, there is one uh, happening in the UK, um, which will basically um, mean that it will be illegal to bring in the, there's an allowance of things. Wow. Okay. I can't quite remember. So you can just cut that out. Okay. <laughs> but basically, okay. Um, I would say get online, take a look at which um, petitions, you know, you can, you can sign and hopefully enact some change. Um, like I said earlier, sustainable um, tourism really helps check out, you know, which operators are, you know, really having the care of the animal at the centre of their operation. Um, partake in citizen science. Um, so I should talk about that later. Um, so partake in citizen science, that's a big one. Um, so you know, while we can't be in field having our whale shark encounters, maybe there'll be 
other people, tourists and, um, you know, locals who are going to be able to get out into on the water and, you know, encounter whale sharks. So if you have, um, and that goes for a lot of other projects, like, you know, um, in the UK, I know that Shark Trust have their great egg, uh, great egg case hunt. Um, God, a lot of, a lot of mouthful words there. Um, so yeah, there's, there's many citizen science, um, initiatives you can take part in um manta trust and olive ridley turtle program also have yeah. them but yeah if you see a whale shark and that goes for anywhere in the world actually not just Maldives. if you see a whale shark you can actually send your encounter to wild book um which is like the worldwide database and yeah hopefully um you sure. can get a match for a certain individual and you know it's really cool when you have that you can when you are able to like ID um, certain individuals and go, oh my gosh, like this individual was here, but now he's traveled here. It's, that's a really cool element of the job is like sort of seeing a, a story develop yeah. um, behind individuals. Um, yeah, that is super cool. Super interesting and, to see. Yeah. And just lastly, for how can people help? Um, if you want to like get hands-on experience, I would say um, volunteer. Volunteering is, uh, for me anyway, it's been like the most valuable thing that I've I've done really um, in terms of getting experience uh, for marine conservation and in field. Um, volunteering is super duper valuable, and obviously, if you want to volunteer with whale sharks, um, I. I'd highly recommend coming with Maldives Whale Shark Research Programme. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you'd also get the chance to sort of, you know, as well as, you know, what the bucket list type thing of swimming with a whale shark, you get to record all the data and, like, actively help to, to their conservation and hopefully their future. So that is a big one. And if you, I mean, obviously, it's a very odd and... Uh, stressful time for everyone but if you're in a position to donate um, then donating to any organization is very helpful um, but if you're in a position to donate and help uh, the Maldives Whale Shark Research Program actually get back in field for next year um, that would be really appreciated um, but if not then sharing sharing all the you know the information that we have on our social media that's super duper helpful too so that is a little summary of how you can help a whale shark in person and uh, and remotely, like everyone's doing. <laughs> if people want to uh, follow along with you and programs research, where can they find you guys on social media? Yeah, if people want to find us on socials, uh, Maldives Whale Shark Research Program is under m.w.s.r dot p on um on instagram and just literally search our name on facebook and it will come up and i'm mostly on instagram and you can find me under chloe underscore darwin um so head there and you'll be able to find out lots more cool whale sharky facts thank you so much for joining me today chloe it was awesome to have you on thank you Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Water and Women podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe to it. You can also follow us on all of our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Water Women Podcast and on Twitter at Water Women Pod. 
can also find more behind-the-scenes info on our website, waterwomenpodcast.ca. I am so happy to keep sharing these stories of different water women each week with you. And until next week, stay salty.